responsibilities and their families in the full life of the church. I am delighted to um, introduce to you today my guest, Andrew Bennett. Andrew is a 28-year-old native of the Houston area, and he has spent the past five years working as a therapist in the field of applied behavior analysis, commonly referred to as ABA. He's been seeing autism firsthand in the lives of many other people, as well as his own. He has learned things about autism that he didn't even know from his own personal experience, and it's broadened his perspective to be a very compassionate towards others who feel different than everyone else. He finds peace and fulfillment in his disability through his Catholic faith and knowing that knowing that everyone has value before God, including him. Andrew is a parishioner at St. Bernadette Catholic Church in Clear Lake. Welcome, Andrew. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm in here, too. When we were planning the conference in the fall, it unfortunately did not materialize, but Andrew had prepared a, a learning session to offer to our audience. And I just want to read our audience what you wrote because it was it was very beautiful, and it's kind of the preface for what we're going to talk about on our show today. Andrew wrote, when you're born with autism, you'll always have autism. It makes many things, many things others take for granted very difficult, and it is hard to watch as others achieve those things. You'll wonder to yourself, as I have many times, why me? I'm still figuring it out but I'm here to share what I know so far. Again, Andrew, I'm just, I was glad to meet you in the fall when we were working towards the conference, and I'm delighted to have you live with us today in the studio. I want to start because I just mentioned in that intro that you work currently as an ABA therapist or in the field of applied behavior analysis. Could you tell our listeners, many who may not know what ABA and applied behavior analysis is. Can you give us a little summary of your field you work in? Uh, sure. Um, so, applied behavior analysis, known in parlance as ABA, is a form of a therapy, sometimes also referred to as behavior analysis or behavior therapy, based in decades of scientific research dating back to the 60s about uh, behavior and some of the laws and principles that they found about how behavior works and how people learn. Primarily, one of those was that people learn through reinforcement. It has been used in a variety of ways to improve behavior, but it's a scientifically verified method capable of teaching a variety of skills from social to verbal to independent living skills, or really anything else you can imagine, and even to those for whom learning is most difficult. Thank you. That does summarize it very succinctly. Um, so let's start by just talking about autism. So you work with others who have autism, and of course, you have lived this now, your 28 years of life. Is there some kind of um, generalities maybe we could just start with that you can talk to us about this diagnosis? Well, yes, because autism is known as a spectrum disorder, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some features that are generally fairly common among people that have autism. It, the characteristics might vary in intensity and number across people that have autism. And sometimes some people might have some of the characteristics, but they aren't necessarily on the spectrum. And in fact, uh, one of the most uh, popular uh, public figures 
in the spotlight who has autism tend to be granted with that everybody has a little bit of autism in them. But so some of the general characteristics of autism might include persistent deficits in social communication, such as nonverbal communication and ongoing interpersonal relationships. You might also see a restricted or repetitive pattern of behavior, such as something that they like to do over and over and over again, or particular ways that they move their body or talk. Now, this might also manifest itself in a few but very, very intense and passionate interests that might seem abnormal to other people, but for the person that has autism that has these interests, they're like, it's like part of their world, something that they love above almost everything else. But one of, some of the more common ways you might have seen it in the, in the public eye are the rigidity to a routine or ritual. Like they want things to be a certain way. They want things to go according to a certain schedule or they have a particular routine that they have and if something makes that get disturbed or frozen off, then that will bother them more than it might other people. So it might also manifest in the sense of a sensory stimuli and sensory issues. It's kind of how the uh, general um, term for it is, just sensory issues, as in maybe heat or cold or light or warmth or sounds, etc. may be excessively strong and sense they may have more sensitivity to that than other people. They may have no sensitivity to it at all, or they might be just unusually interested in certain sounds or sights or smells. And how you distinguish this from something else is that these symptoms are present in early development, cause some kind of a clinically significant impairment to the person's life, and isn't really better explained by any other cause, which could be just intellectual disability or developmental delay in general. That doesn't mean that you can't be diagnosed with autism as an adult. It just might mean that you have to go back through the rest of your life and uh, realize that they were kind of always there. In fact, when I was diagnosed at three, I didn't know until I was 13. And then when my parents told me that I had autism, uh, I actually thought that that made a lot of sense. I kind of always known inside me that something was different than other people. I love that part of your story, Andrew, and I had not heard it before. So uh, I'm just going to repeat a little bit again. You said you were diagnosed at three, but your parents didn't share the information with you until you were, you know, a young teenager, 13 years old. And the reality that you always knew you might have done things or thought things or behaved, let's say, differently than maybe a sibling or other friends. But you, and maybe it was almost liberating to hear a diagnosis or to know you had something now that. Yeah, at the time. Does that mean something, maybe, to you? Um, is that true? Yeah, at the time, I was like, this makes perfect sense. Now you understand everything. Nice, that's great. That's good. Um, so be, tell us a little bit. Talk to me about before you, your parents told you. What was Andrew like at 10 and 12 years old, thinking or feeling when he didn't know yet? Do you have any memory of that? Well, I just knew that I seemed abnormally intelligent. Like, I was able to uh, spell and do math really, really well. In elementary school, I made the math triathlon both years and won a spelling bee both times. And nobody had ever won in fourth grade before. So, But I also found that I really didn't have that many friends, per se. Like, 
I mo- mostly people knew me because I was a smart boy. They didn't necessarily uh, have a, too much of a sustained conversation with me beyond some of the things that I really, really, really liked. And if other people didn't like those things, then I didn't necessarily talk to them very much. So I guess I always felt a little bit like an outsider, but I actually felt really, really happy about it to an extent. Okay, so that was probably upside for you. You you were content. Now maybe others maybe others wanted to have more of a connection with you, but if they didn't have your same passion, it, it just didn't happen, possibly. Right, and that's not to say that's not the case in the real world where mm-hmm. if we just don't click because we don't have the same interests, and I mean that's commonplace. But exactly, it feels it, it might have felt to some people as though like these are the only things that I wanted to talk about, and I just want to talk to them all day long about them. And, and maybe some people got tired of that. Or, and so that can be one of the uh, downsides as well. And then you mentioned something about the Health Temple brand. And, of course, it was internationally known as a self-advocate like yourself. Mm-hmm. Again, she just got a little more notoriety. But, um, <laughs> We're not quite that, but. <laughs> well, well, you never know, though. And um, but you talked about neurodiversity. We are, every, every brain is different. So, in a sense, you know, we all have maybe to some degree could be considered on the spectrum because of our, our own unique neurodiversity, one brain to the next, right? Uh, you mentioned sensory issue, which is sensory issues, which is, you know, a pretty big thing to some people on the spectrum. Again, but and to others also, there are certain foods I might like and others that I don't like or certain, you know, fabrics that I would be okay to feel or movies to watch. You know, we all have different sensory needs. So there, there's some truism in that statement for sure. Yes. I mean, like certain things that have a certain texture in my mouth, I can't eat it. Like, I, it's only recently that I finally tried to eat broccoli again. It was a Thai restaurant that cooked it really, really well, and I actually liked it. But everywhere else, it feels like swallowing a toothbrush. Uh-huh. I can't stand it. <laughs> No, that wouldn't feel very, very good at all. And the same thing with tripe in the Vietnamese soup. Oh, my. Yeah, I would have eaten it, actually, if any of you are like, you ate that. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded it, except that it felt like, <laughs> felt like a bunch of spines on the back of my throat. Wasn't going down well. No. Um, you also mentioned, uh, what about any of the, um, I don't know, what are, what are some of the highlights you could tell someone? Um, and maybe someone working with someone with autism. You know, what are the joys? of someone with autism. For those of us who even work in, like for me, I work in the church, so we're always trying to learn how to help maybe teach people. You know, in our case, we're teaching faith, but any kind of, you know, educational process. What can be some of the joys? There's some challenges, but what are some of those joys? Well, some of them could definitely be related to your uh, special interests and the things that you really, really love. They can actually turn into something really productive. So... I always had a great affinity for uh, language when I was growing up, especially from being exposed to so many wonderful different cultures in this hodgepodge of a city. So I grew up with a lot of different kinds of food, and so I was also curious about the words from different languages. So when I got into high school, I excelled in Spanish and then Mandarin, and I can still follow along with uh, some basic words in Mandarin and some can speak Spanish at a basic level. But then I found out last year when I tried to uh, learn uh, French that I just took to it naturally. And within uh, six months, I was in uh, Marseille just navigating pretty much all on my own without needing to use English. 
That's and amazing. then four months later, I was actually able to uh, take on a position interpreting for the uh, Telehealth uh, World AVA Project, which is uh, AVA services based out of University of Houston Clear Lake, done through teleconference around the world. So I was able to actually uh, translate, even though I'd only been speaking this language for 10 months. That's definitely a joy of someone on, on the spectrum, especially in your case. Did that, lead, did that experience lead into uh, your new part-time job you just mentioned to me you also have coming up? Overseas? Well, yes. So I found out that not only could I, when I took on one language, learning another one was easy. And so I wanted to go do some more traveling after having been overseas. But then I uh, I came across the opportunity to travel with the uh, Global Autism Project, which is going to uh, visit their partner site in Prague, Czech Republic, for two weeks in July. So I uh, applied for that and apparently ate the interview, and I'm now on my way over there. And so I may not need to learn the language over there since I do have translators, but I decided I'm just going to do it. You're good to know. And within two and a half months, I was writing puns in Czech. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> Andrew, you've been a delight to have on. I know we're going to have you back in the future. I'm sure more people would like to listen to you, your story, and, and to learn from you because you have such a wealth of knowledge about autism from a first, living it firsthand. Um, with that, I'm going to close, but thank you very much, Andrew. I hope you were blessed by listening to In God's Image today. I welcome your questions and comments. Please send them to ingodsimage at archgh.org. That's ingodsimage at archgh.org. This is Charlotte. God's blessings.